to use the nickname Mags to introduce, um, to introduce him to us. And you know what I told him? I said, well, to me it means he's approachable. <laughs> Mags? Who wouldn't want to talk to him? Who wouldn't be? Mags? That's good. How did that happen? Uh, very simple. One of my best friends in high school, just right at the end of high school, started calling me Mags. And when I went to college, it stuck. And so that's how I became Mags. Magwood just got shortened down. Awesome. And it worked very well, I'll say, in uh, Russia, where we served as mission workers, because Maxim is a very common Russian name, and they shorten it to Max. And so Robert doesn't sound Russian. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> but Max does, so it fit really well. Yeah. Okay, welcome again, Thanks Rob. God much. bless you. Thank you. Well, good morning, church. Good morning. Are you warm? Sort of. Medium. Medium warm. I am so thankful to have been with you here for part of this missions month and to be part of this theme that we've talked about together, this treasure. I'm going to put the verse up there right away. This is the verse that the original idea came from. We as God's people have this treasure, the gospel, in jars of clay. Jars of clay are simple, they are inexpensive, they are fragile. And the Lord has given us this good news, this good message, which has changed our lives. Appreciated so much, Jonathan, your testimony this morning. Thank you for sharing your story with us. And he has given it to us not to keep to ourselves. So over these weeks, we talked about the great value of the treasure. Last week, we talked about treasuring the treasure, capital T. And today, we're going to focus in on this idea of actually sharing the treasure. What does it look like for that to be poured out? in these days, and how is the Lord asking us to participate in that? Um, yeah, I just really am thankful to be part of this, the discussion with Pastor Mel and Pastor Dave, and I did want to say Happy New Year to our Chinese friends as well, special occasions that are being celebrated in these days. Uh, Matt had a picture of his family up. I introduced my family last week, but I want to do so again. Uh, they say hi from all over the world where they are. Our sons are spread around the world, and Anna and Kath are at home, and they say uh, they are praying for us, and they'd like to come to Edmonton even if it's cold. Um, this is, these are three of the reasons here that I love to come to Edmonton. Uh, Pastor Mel mentioned that my roots are here. I grew up in Edmonton, and the McClure's are a special connection. I love these kids and love to see them, and I'm still an Edmonton Oilers fan, still. Yeah, right. We'll talk about that another time. We served in Russia, as we said, and I thought because, you know, it's just interesting. It's Siberia, right? It's, it's cold. So I went onto the internet last night. I thought, let's check this out. Okay, so I went to the weather network. Okay, so here's Edmonton, Alberta. It's really small font, so I'll, I'll show you. Over here on the side, it says Sunday morning. That's now. Sunday morning. A mix of sun and clouds, minus 19, feels like minus 28. And I thought, what is it in Krasnoyarsk? What do you think? Does Weather Network have Krasnoyarsk? It does. Krasnoyarsk, minus 16, but here Sunday morning, mainly cloudy, minus 18, feels like minus 25. You win. <laughs> it's colder here this morning than it is in Siberia. So, we're warm inside here. Um, thanks again for the invitation to be part of your missions month. I serve with an organization called Send International, and we use three words to try and characterize what we do. First is mobilize, then we want to engage, and then we want to establish. What do we mean by these three key words? The first is to help mobilize God's people. 
to help people who will go and people who will send. This is actually a family of ours who lives in Siberia now with their two young boys and were alongside this family while they prepared to go and they trained and they were through language school and now Dave, this gentleman's name is Dave, serves as one of the leaders on our Siberia team. We're alongside groups like that. We're alongside the families who remain in Canada and I want to continue to mention that and challenge even Ellerslie Road to raise up and to send out your own it will be costly for mothers and fathers and grandmothers and grandfathers to release their loved ones to go and to serve in mission. It is part of your faith journey and part of your courageous trust in the Lord to release your loved ones as they are mobilized. Second, we say we want to engage. There are many people in this world, we're going to talk about that this morning, who have yet to hear the good news of the gospel. It's estimated on joshuaproject.net that 86% of Muslims, Buddhists, and Hindus have never met a Christian. 86% of Muslims, Hindus, and Buddhists have never met a Christian. And so we want to, in the spirit of uh, 1 Timothy, with gentleness and respect, make known the good news of the gospel. And... To this end, we want to establish reproducing churches. We don't want to just have converts, but we want to gather them together into groups that will care for each other, that will teach each other, that will love and support each other in a way that they can function on their own and so that our mission workers can then step back from that situation and it can be culturally appropriate there and it doesn't depend on the mission worker. We want to establish churches. But I chose this picture very specifically this morning. Have a good look at that church. Because I want to change the photo here. And I want to change it to a reproducing church that looks like this. Why did I do this? That's a real question. Why, why did I choose these two pictures? Why am I changing to this one? Because I want to emphasize that a church may be housed in walls with a roof and a steeple. But the church is comprised of God's people. And when we think of church and mission, we want to have reproducing churches. And I don't want us, especially in the West, we tend to think of churches with buildings, that we think of faithful groups of Christ followers who love and care for each other, and then who in turn pass the truth on to others. So this is the picture I like, the small group Bible study. Uh, Matt was here telling us about InterVarsity. I was a navigator when I was on campus. Small group Bible study and caring for each other. We want to establish reproducing churches. That is the mission of our organization. Of course, you can come by the booth. I always like to mention that prayer bookmark. I think I did last week too. It's the one that's standing up on the table there. If you'd like a prayer bookmark that will remind you of how to pray for a mission worker and their kids each day of the week. And there's some other literature there as well on a whole bunch of different opportunities, including an app for short-term mission workers. Um, there's some information there. It's got reflection material before you leave to go to the mission field, while you're on the mission field, and then when you get home from the mission field to help process the experience. I know the Mexico team is considering that tool, and you're welcome to have a look at it as well there. I do want to uh, take you around the world a little bit. There was a verse that Pastor Mel and I talked about 
it's, in, it's from uh, Colossians chapter 1, actually, and it says, The gospel that you have embraced here is bearing fruit all around the world. And I think this morning is a good example because we had a baptism uh, service, and Jonathan gave his testimony, and we see that the gospel is bearing fruit in Edmonton. Even in these days in Canada, with all the challenges that we have, the gospel is bearing fruit. And I want to tell you that the gospel is also bearing fruit in other places as well. I could tell you stories about the Yukon Territory, where our workers are living long-term. It takes a long time to build trust with First Nations peoples. Respectfully, I say there are a lot of challenges in that interaction bet between outside workers and indigenous peoples. But the Lord is bringing good fruit from that. I could take you to Thailand and tell you the story of a young lady. She's 14 years old. She was 14 when she received the Lord. And he began to change her life and gave her hope and purpose. And she went back into her school, which is Buddhist. And in their school, they have a large gold statue of Buddha. And it's the practice for all the students to come together in an assembly, and they will all bow down to the golden Buddha. And this young lady, after she came to Christ in that assembly, was standing in that group of students, and they all bowed down, and she did not. If you've ever read or heard the story from the book of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and everyone bowed down to the statue that was there except these three faithful men, it was relived in a sense in Asia when this young lady stood alone and her teachers came to her and said, why won't you bow down? And she said, I'm now a follower of Jesus and I cannot bow down to the statue anymore. There is good fruit around the world. Finally, I want to tell you about the Muslim world. The Lord is working remarkably among Muslim people groups. We are seeing now that in the last 25 years, more Muslims have come to Christ, have come to faith in Christ, than the previous 1,400 years combined. I interviewed, and I'm, this is where I mentioned the podcast quick. It's episode 44 on the podcast. If you listen to podcasts, the Global Missions podcast, I interviewed this author, and he has researched these movements and he includes the movement, this is this, the, uh, the criteria he uses, there must be, in a 20-year period, a minimum of 1,000 baptisms. Then it classifies as something that he would research. And he said they are happening, and there are tens of thousands, and in some cases, even hundreds of thousands of baptisms among Muslim peoples in this world. So while in Canada we struggle and our churches are wrestling, and even Carmen mentioned it last week in Europe, in Italy, there is darkness, but the Lord is at work. It is bearing fruit around the world. And I want to encourage your hearts with that. I hope this morning that we can lift our awareness again. I want to inform you, and I want to challenge you a little bit too. Maybe I'll rub a little bit in some places. I don't try to be unnecessarily controversial, but I want to put some things before you as God's people that would help you think, that you will help, it will help you be aware and then I'm going to challenge you also to respond. So here's this beautiful pot here in this case. It's pouring out its treasure. When I preach, because I'm a visual learner, I try and find pictures that describe what I'd like to talk about. And this is the picture that I chose for this morning. A bridge. A big bridge. And it's not finished. I call it a task unfinished. 
when we think about global missions and the Great Commission, this is what I would like you to think of with me this morning. It's a task unfinished. I want to be careful to say that we're not at the beginning. Things have already happened, and there has been faithful service from Ellerslie Road is a wonderful example. Short term and long term, you have sent out people over the years and supported them. But it isn't finished yet. And so this is, like, this is how I'd like to think about this Great Commission. And some may say, I'm not familiar with what you mean, Mags. The Great Commission, what is, what is that? This is part of Jesus' last teaching to his disciples. After he had lived a sinless life and died on the cross to pay the price for the sins of all humanity and been dead and buried for three days in the tomb and rose again, amen? Amen? He gave instructions to his disciples, and this is what he said. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Not some authority, not partial authority, not temporary authority. All authority has been given to me. Now, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, Behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. We have seen this literally unfold in this very service this morning, praise the Lord, in the life of a young man who has become a disciple of Christ. Did you hear him say that five years ago he said he, he thought he would be the last person ever to be here? Can I just encourage your heart with that, that you may know people that today may think they are the last person that would ever embrace the Lord Jesus? And give testimony like we heard today. And you may be the one who will be the ambassador into their lives. We need to be encouraged by this church. You encouraged? Yeah, and challenged. I am too. It's been a great morning. You see here that Jesus says, go and make disciples. Not just converts. Not just people who say, I'm a Christian. But people who actually line up the way they behave with what they believe. Those two need to go together, right? Because if you, if you say you believe this way and you behave that way, we've got a serious problem. And people see that, and they know it. They, can, they see that a mile away, that inauthenticity. We must be authentic disciples. The other thing Jesus uses here is a word we translate nations. So around this auditorium this morning, you see the, the banners, the flags of the nations. And we're in the Olympics right now, so we're seeing all these flags, right? That's not actually what Jesus meant exactly when he said nations. He wasn't referring to the geopolitical land like, like Afghanistan or Canada or Zimbabwe. He was referring to ethnic people groups. Those gathering of, gatherings of people groups who are like each other. They speak the same language. They know each other's customs. That's what he's referring to. And that's the way we're going to talk about missions this morning. When I say na uh, nations, I mean people groups. So I'm going to switch over to people groups. And I'd like to just bring you up to speed with some ideas, some statistics. We talked about maps and charts last week. Here come the maps and charts. You may like to fill it in. I've got a little insert in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along. If you go to that colored side there, I'd like to just share with you some ideas that some great resources come from joshuaproject.net. I've put it on there. Did I put it on there? Mm, maybe I didn't actually print it on there. It's from joshuaproject.net. Okay? It's a great resource. 
And this is the way we're going to describe unreached people group. It's a long sentence, so stick with me. An unreached people group is a people group among which there is no indigenous, the fancy word for local, community of believing Christians. There's no church with adequate numbers and resources to evangelize that people group. So with that definition in mind, let's look at how Joshua Project divides up our world's population. Now, I went on to the world clock, which you can do on the internet these days. You can see what's the population of the world estimated right at this moment. I did it the other night to prepare my slides. So I did it on the 16th. Today's the 18th. This is two days old. On the 16th, the human population was 7,602,486,125 people. You can summarize that. It's going to be easier to write 7.6 on your little page, right? 7.6 billion people in the world. Joshua Project helps us understand what this population looks like by dividing it into three simple pie pieces. And we acknowledge that this is very grand, these are very grand numbers. They're large numbers. But if we're even close, which we are, it's responsible numbers, you'll get the point. The green represents those parts of the world where there is an established church. The church exists there. Maybe there's an Ellerslie Road Baptist Church nearby. Maybe it's a smaller group, like the one we saw studying on the couch, but there is a church there. They have the scriptures usually, at least a portion of the scriptures, and they may have other groups. The formative church are those places where they, the church has been uh, planted, we might say, but they are growing and they benefit from outside help still, from supports. And red represents those parts of the world that we call unreached, the UPGs. The percentages look like this. As of two days ago, 47.4% have access to the gospel. About 10% have some access to the gospel, but it's just emerging in those places. And if you're doing the math, it's about 42% of the world's population estimated to be outside a personal understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to acknowledge there are some remarkable technologies in the world. The internet is bringing the gospel to many places. Radio waves through Transworld Radio and HCJB are putting radio programs out as well. And they can be very useful and sometimes they're right in the same room as these unreached peoples. But these folks do not have anyone personally bringing the gospel to them. And that's where I believe we need to... We need to lift our focus need to lift our focus there. Joshua Project takes these three colors and lays it out over a world map now. That's what I'm going to change to. This is the map with those same colors put over, them, put over the different countries. Of course, we know if we zoom into a city, we're going to see all those colors in the city, right? But this is the macro view. And mission, mission workers, missions people like me, sometimes talk about something called the 1040 window. Have you heard of the 1040 window? Show me. Some of you have. Many of you have. This is what the 1040 window is. Here's 10 degrees north latitude, and here's 40 degrees north latitude. Maybe you can see what I'm doing. I'm going to create a box, a window, over North Africa, the Middle East, the uh, Indian subcontinent, and then into Asia, just like that pretty dark, so you can't see the countries anymore, but in there, that's what we call the 1040 window. In that window are 69% of unreached people groups. Now think with me for just a moment. What is that part of the world like? 
Okay? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you a question. Get yourselves ready. I'm getting ready. You ready? What's the temperature like in that part of the world? It's hot. Maybe for people like us, maybe not so comfortable all the times. Warmer than this morning, admit it. Okay. Maybe I should call people to serve in the 1040 window on mornings like this. What's the population density like here? High. It's going to be crowded. Not in North Africa, granted. A lot of, lot of desert there. But it's crowded, especially in Asia, compared to what we're used to. What's the geopolitical climate like in these places? Really friendly? It's challenging. These places and these people groups are unreached for a reason. David Platt respectfully says, they are unreached because it's hard. The easy ones have already been taken. It will take great commitment on the part of people to go and people to send them if we are going to improve our outreach in these areas. One last element I want to talk about finances. Of course, uh, a lot of Christendom is in the West, and right now the West is relatively rich compared to the rest of the world. But this is a striking piece of information, for me personally at least. 99.7% of missional activities and financial support is directed toward where the church already is. That is not a typo. 99.7. Which means 0.3% of resources are allocated to where the church does not exist. If we were to take $100, if you do the math, this means that out of every $100 given to Christian ministries, approximately 30 cents goes towards that red zone. And those 42% of the world's population and 69% of unreached people. And my submission is that we as agencies, I'm speaking to myself as an agency, and we as God's people in churches need to consider this balance, or I'm calling it an imbalance, that we continue to lift focus onto the red zone. So with this in our hearts, actually I'm going to pause to pray here just as we go on. I, I presented some of this at our home church and an elder came up uh, to pray after this message and he simply said this and it stuck in my mind. He said, Lord, this is unacceptable. And I wonder with grace if we could just pray into that this morning and then um, I've got some ideas I want to share some handlebar ideas with you right after we pray would you join me in praying father these are important realities and I just ask now that you would really help us here as we wrestle with these things this is not meant to be a like a guilt trip or anything like that but awareness is important understanding is important and that enables us to respond. And so I pray for your help to us now, that by your spirit you would meet us, help us to understand, and Lord, would you touch our hearts and move our hearts as you see fit, because it is our desire to be found faithful. And we pray together in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. When we came back from Russia, we came into our church, which is in London, Ontario, and uh, we met Pastor Mike, and this is just quick about Pastor Mike, but I had, he talked about an analogy that really worked for me. He called it handlebars. He said the best way and the safest way to ride a bicycle is to keep two hands on the handlebars. 
Because if you take one off, then you're at risk of skewing the direction that you're going in. Make sense? I had an experience like this when I was in high school, actually, and it was actually on Grenfell Avenue in St. Albert, Alberta. And I had been asked to go get groceries, and I was riding my bicycle up the hill, and I had a bag of groceries in one arm and one hand on the handlebar. And I put my head down to get up the hill, and I was pedaling really, really hard. You know, when you're not paying attention, and you're pedaling really hard, and you've got your groceries in one arm, and you've got one. And I looked up, and the lamppost was right there. And I almost missed it. In this idea, what I want to do is say, we need two hands on the handlebars. So Pastor Mike, he said, you've got faith and you've got works, right? You've heard that in this church, right? Faith and works. You need both or you can skew it. You've got the sovereignty of God and you've the responsibility of humanity. You need both or you can get skewed. I could have a little more fun. You've got hymns and you've got choruses. Oh, okay, I shouldn't do that, right? We need to get the gospel into our people. That's discipleship. We need to get it out. That's evangelism. We need both. Now, in the spirit of Pastor Mike, in the visual image of a rich truth that needs balance, here are three missions handlebars. Are you ready? Number one, senders and goers. Senders and goers. And what I mean simply by that is people who will send them, people who will go. I'll show this picture again. This is the... Uh, family that's in Siberia. They are the goers. They lay down their life here to take it up there. This is a small group, that, part of a church, that helps support mission workers. They support with love and with finances and with encouragement. You heard that coming from Matt this morning, didn't you? The encouragement that this church is. Matt and Jill are the goers in this case. Eldersley Road are the senders in this case. Now, I like to ask this. Which is more important? Which is more important? They're both. They're both critical. See, some people, when I, when I come, they say, oh, it's Mags, and he's going to talk about missions. I am never going to be a missionary. I'm not going to be a missionary, Mags. I'm too young, too old, too this, too that, whatever. Watch out. The Lord still, still works. But they politely just kind of tune me out. <whistles> Global missions, not for me. But I want to say it is for you because you are either a goer or a sender. I wasn't sure I was going to say this, but I'm trusting the Lord. Dr. John Piper said this first. He said there are three categories of people in a church. There are goers, there are senders, and there are disobedient. It's a strong statement. Can you receive it with grace? I mean it in that way. That we are all to participate in this. And so you have... Goers and senders. Carmen was here last week. I got to meet her serving in Italy. I think you understand the idea. I do want to say, this is from Romans. And, and I was so excited when you said in your testimony, Romans chapter 10. These slides were made long before Jonathan, Jonathan and I met each other. But he had it in his testimony this morning. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen? That is good news. That is a treasure. Then Paul goes on to say this. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them, telling them the good news? This is the role of the goer. But this isn't the end of the verse. 
the goer is clear. Do you know how the verse ends? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? They must be sent. And I want to commend you as a church of senders. And I want to encourage you forward. Keep doing it. And I want to encourage you to raise up more goers also and to raise up more senders. Some of you may never go to the mission field, but the Lord has enabled you to financially support them, to be generous. We talked about that last week. Let's be careful not to treasure treasure, right? But treasure the treasure. I know of a young couple, and they are praying that when they get to heaven, whatever that's like, when they get to heaven, they are giving to missions now. So when they get to heaven, there will be somebody from every continent to meet them there. They're giving to missions on every single continent, on purpose, even though they're not goers. So I want to challenge you as senders. This is the way I tried to summarize it here. It's in your, the yellow fits in the, if you like to keep the notes. It is biblical to think of myself in one of two categories, to be a faithful goer or to be a faithful sender. And the sender will be the majority. I've got one little piece to pile onto here. And this is from the book of Philippians. Paul writes to his friends who have sent money, and he says this. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I'm amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They sent money. These monies are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, and pleasing to God. So I summarize it this way and say it is an act of worship to financially support missions. I need to press on. But I'm going to stop right here. Do you know what this is? You know what it is? It's your website. It, this is Ellerslie Road website as of last night. You believe in this already here. And I know that font's way too small, so let me blow it up for you. This is what it says. The global missions ministry is to creatively encourage each member of our church family, all of you, to share in God's global vision for building his church by proactively and intentionally supporting and participating in cross-cultural opportunities. To pray, to give, and to go to the nations. You are already doing it. Well done. Keep going and keep growing in it. So, there's the first handlebars, second handlebars. I better get going, right, Mags? Get going, okay. I gotta tell you, in Russia, every service was at least two hours long. Now they're really worried. The second, local and global. Should we do missions locally right here in Edmonton, right in Canada, or should we do it around the world? Could we please have both hands on the handlebars here? Both and, not either or. So locally, there are wonderful things happening. New Canadians are coming. Even unreached people groups are coming to our neighborhoods. Probably right now, if you think about your neighborhood, you're thinking, and new people come to mind, new Canadians, maybe they're in your workplace or at the university, wherever, they're coming to us. And so, yes, we should do local. Uh, we should send uh, Matt to the campus at UVic. What I wanted to talk to him about is how did he get sent to Victoria, B.C., and I got sent to Siberia. Should we do this all? Yes. 
So I'm going to use Jesus' words again. This is from Acts chapter 1. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses, you see this, in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And what I'd like to do here, if too bad we can't do a small group Bible study, but I take those three elements and lift them out and say, what are the equivalents in 2018? In Jerusalem, Jesus said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. For Ellerslie Road in 2018, what is the equivalent of Jerusalem? Edmonton. You are to be my witnesses in Edmonton. Judea and Samaria was the region, the province, if you will, where uh, Jesus was speaking. And what's our equivalent in 2018 here? Alberta and Canada, perhaps. And to the ends of the earth in 2018, what's the ends of the earth? The ends of the earth. You got it. What some churches and some uh, agencies tend to think is we need to do these in sequence. They're not intended to be in sequence. You don't do one, don't get Jerusalem perfect, and then move on to Judea and Samaria. And when you've got that perfect, move on to the ends of the earth. They are intended to be going on at the same time. You will simultaneously be my witnesses in Edmonton and in Alberta and Canada and to the ends of the earth. This is the call for God's people. So do we need local or global? We need both. We need both. And finally, oh, this is the fill-in. I understand that faithful mission work can take place near to home and far from home, but the majority of believers live far from here. We talked about population before. Let's take the population of Canada. We're going to take Toronto, near where I live, big city, one of the biggest in Canada. We'll add to that Vancouver, put in Montreal, Add in uh, Edmonton and Calgary together, Regina, Winnipeg, and then let's take all the major cities in the United States, New York City, Los Angeles, Dallas-Fort Worth, Chicago, Atlanta, and then let's peek down into Mexico and add in Mexico City, one of the largest cities in the world. If you take the entire population of North America, put it all together, how much of the world's population do you think we have? Just an estimate. Somebody want to take a chance? Take a chance. About 10%, I heard someone say over here. You're very close. It's just under 8%. 8% of the world's population lives in North America. That means 61% live in Asia. And while we do need to have local ministries, if only 8% of the world's population lives here, and 42% of them are unreached, very few, very few will have the opportunity to come to our shores. We need to do local and we need to go and do global, both. Third and final handlebar, short-term and long-term. Short-term missions. We've heard uh, many of us have participated in short-term missions. It depends how you define it. One of our board members actually was in Calgary and she was visiting with a college student and uh, discussing with her missions, and she asked this question, well, young lady, are you thinking of doing short-term missions or long-term missions? And she said, long-term missions, absolutely, long-term. I'm thinking at least three weeks. <laughs> Did you know 
that in North America this year, a conservative estimate is that one million individuals will participate in short-term missions. And that's conservative. A million people. Now, let's do a little math on this. If each of those trips cost, I'll say, $1,500, I'm picking that as a, a round figure. It could be lower. It could be significantly higher going on short-term mission. One million people times $1,500 is $1.5 billion every year. And I go back to the imbalance question and say, are we investing wisely? I want to be very careful to say that I am affirming short-term missions when it's done well, that we do it well, we do it wisely. I, my life was changed through a short-term mission. But that we need to be very careful with our engagement there. I'll never say that short-term missions is without value, but we need to be really careful and wise about how we're doing it because our investment is massive. I want to take you uh, to Southeast Asia and a country there that I won't mention by name. I have a colleague there. I'm going to call him Theo this morning. And Theo's team's vision is to be the presence of Jesus to bring the message of Jesus. You see the order that that takes place? They arrive to be the presence of Jesus in order to bring the message of Jesus. He is a long-term worker. He has invested years of his life learning the language, learning the culture, and building credibility in that local context. And so what they've done there is they found a university where there are Muslim students coming and they weren't quite ready to get into university. So they started a tutoring workshop area there. They call it the center, the tutoring center. And they invited students to come there who brought their grades up and got into university and began to be successful through university. And of course, over time, trust grows in that situation. Credibility grows. You're helping students get into university and to succeed. And they'll get better jobs and better educations because of it. And the impression at the university began to rise. And then the students began to say, well, why are you here? And there was the opportunity to share the message of Jesus because they asked. It wasn't forced. It was asked. Then the students said, well, would you come to our village? Places where mission workers would never go with a white face. You could never go to these places unless you were invited. And when they went out to these villages, they found, you know, they could really use medical clinics here. And they could use dentists. So Theo came back to his homeland in the United States and found doctors and dentists who would go short term to fit into his long term plan. And the two fit together. And as a result, they could have these clinics there and these doctors and, uh, uh, doctors and nurses and dentists, they couldn't speak any of the local language, but the long-term workers could. And they wove them together. So I describe long-term work as the spinal cord and the short-term workers as the ribs that we can plug in there. And they fit together. And they can bring great, great fruit out of these types of situations. I just want to underline, it wouldn't happen if it wasn't for the long-term worker. And that's where we need to continue to ask the question, in a church like this, who will go? And I hadn't thought of this because I hadn't heard Jonathan's testimony for this morning. But he said five years ago, he, would, thought, he, he thought he would be the last person ever to embrace Christianity. And I want to suggest that maybe there are people even here this morning that would say, today, 
I would be the last person that the Lord would call to serve in mission. But let's see. For a praying church, for a faithful church, let's pray that the Lord would raise up workers. You saw the picture of the family with young kids, and I've seen some of these precious families in your congregation with the little, little ones running around. Wonderful. Will the Lord call some of them to go? Will you send them? Parents and grandparents, will you, by faith, release them? So that the gospel, the treasure, the treasure, can reach some of these dear people who have little or no opportunity to hear it. I've got more pictures from, uh, from Theo, but I'd like to close. And worship team, where's Paige? And there you are. You, can you come? It's slide 104. Uh, Matthew, if you could take me to 104, I'd like to finish with this, the, the bridge again. And ask you as God's people to think and to pray with me now as we finish about this unfinished bridge. This final question in light of the unfinished task, how is God asking you to participate in sharing the treasure? Is it a role that's going to be right here in Edmonton? Are you going to be a goer that just has to go across the street or down the hall to be an ambassador? Is it going to be as a worker overseas where you go short term or medium term or long term? Will you be a faithful sender? Will you continue and even expand what you give to God's work? Because that's the way he's calling you to participate in the treasure. Thank you for engaging these things with me. I'd like to pray together again and then ask the team to lead us as the service closes. My prayer for you is that the Lord would apply to your hearts these ideas and that he would stir. If we can be any help, uh, we're glad to. I know that Matt would be glad to talk with you about InterVarsity and Urbana. I've got a booth up there and I'll be around. If we can serve you, that's our role is to serve. You are the people of God. You have this treasure, the treasure in a jar of clay to show that this insurpassable power is not from us, from God. Now let's strive to be faithful. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Lord, thank you for this time together just to share and to muse on these ideas. Help us to be wisely balanced. Pray that you would help us to be courageous. I pray that you'd help us to think through things in ways we haven't thought of before. Five years ago, Something was not true. Today it's true in Jonathan's life. We thank you for that. Praise you. What things do you yet want to bring to fruition in the lives of Ellerslie Road Baptist Church? I pray, Lord, for this dear congregation that you would give them a sense of your call to mission locally and globally, that you would give them a unity that would enable them to serve faithfully here in their Jerusalem in Edmonton and to faithfully send workers, even some of their own, into that red zone, that you in the coming days might receive much glory because of your kindness expressed to us in the Lord Jesus. And we pray together in Jesus' name, amen.
please rise.